to the HC Medium Talk podcast. Today we are interviewing Mr. Baker, a teacher at Holland Christian. My name is Noah Canis. My name is Peter Vanderplug. And we are students here at Holland Christian. So let's just get right into it. All right. So our first couple of questions are having to do with you being a pilot. So anybody that has been a student of yours or people that just know you, um, they know that you're a pilot. What's that like just being able to fly? So having the ability to do something you really like uh, whenever you kind of want to is, um, is a lot of fun. It takes work to do it. Um, flying is a challenge. Uh, there's sort of a mental component. There's a physical component to it. There's a hand-eye coordination piece. There's lots of, uh, lots of dynamics to it that make it a lot of fun, as well as the ability to see the world from a different perspective and sort of manage that. But you're managing three dimensions at once instead of driving. So there's some fun challenges with that. Um, it's an exciting thing to do. It's, uh, it's, it's different every time you do it. And so there's different problems and issues and concerns to manage on a, diff- on a given on a given flight that are different than the last time you flew. Um, and so you're managing lots of variables and thinking about lots of things, which is one of the things I really enjoy about it. Um, the ability to do something that is exciting and see the world from a different place is, is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's really impressive. I heard it's not easy to get a pilot's license. So. There is some work involved in it, right? So there's a written test you got to pass, and then there's a practical exam and an oral exam you got to pass as well, and a number of skills you got to learn. And the uh, one of the harder things is learning how to land, which is always obviously a, a safety concern to do it right. But uh, there's a lot of a lot of hand-eye coordination and judgment involved in in that, as well as a lot of variables that change, wind shifts and wind changes every time you're flying. Every landing is different. Um, Weather conditions are different. Um, the the situation around you is different every time. So there's a lot of pieces you got to learn how to manage uh, to make that happen. So yep. That's really cool. Really cool. How old were you when you got your pilot's license? I uh, did it right out of high school. Um, so started flying the summer after I graduated from high school. Um, was 18 that summer, and so finished that up. I started in probably late June, early July, something like that, and finished up in November. Um, so it was yeah, 18 right out of high school. Oh, yeah, wow. I'm a freshman in college when I finished up. That is nuts. I don't think I yeah. could do that. <laughs> no. Well, you can. Yeah. You're old enough. Right. <laughs> well, um, so did, were you wanting to do like a career that involved flying? Yeah, I sort of had my eye on an aviation career, airline, something like that. Um, and the more I got into that, so I did a private pilot's license, which is the, at that point the initial license. They now have something called a sport pilot license, which is – a little less uh, commitment to get into with fewer privileges involved as well. Um, so private pilot was the, the start at that point and then added uh, an instrument rating after you get a certain number of hours of experience where you can fly when the visibility is lousy. So you're in the clouds, you're in the rain, whatever it is, um, and able to fly and land the airplane without able to use outside references outside of the airplane. Um, and then added a commercial pilot certificate and then a flight instructor certificate and an instrument instructor certificate and then a multi-engine rating as well. So over the course of five years, put all those pieces together um, and then had, had sort of my eye on maybe flying for the airlines or something someday. But the older I got for a little bit, um, the more, and, and you'll find this in your life too, that your idea about what you want life to look like changes a little bit and you start to 
pick up some of the the pieces of what a certain career looks like and what that means for home life and some of those things. And at that point, um, airline jobs were not easy to get. It was going to be a long road of very low-paying jobs to get to a point where you could maybe be competitive for those. Um, and you're gone a lot, and there are a lot of there are people who make it work and have a great, successful marriage and a wonderful time with their kids. And I, my hats off to them. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do that, um, and so decided that maybe that wasn't something I wanted to pursue at that point. Um, Maybe that's a retirement gig for me down the road. Who knows, right? Do some of that part-time there with, uh, for in some way, shape, or form. But I've been able to do some of it. I've done um, some flight instruction, um, gave flying lessons for a number of summers along the way, did a little bit of flying for some local companies as well. So I've had opportunities to do it and use it. And um, so not in the airline, not as a, a career, you know, full-time, but able to make some money doing it and enjoying doing it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So um, what is it about being in the sky that's appealing to you? Boy, um, I think there's a number of things that are appealing. One is the vision you get, the ability to see things um, that you don't. You don't see from a perspective here. Um, you can't see on the ground. That's part of it. Part of it is the challenge involved in managing all of the pieces that you have to manage. You're thinking about weather, you're thinking further ahead than when you're driving a car because you're going a lot faster. Um, you're communicating with people, you're coordinating lots of things and you know managing things in a different way than you have to. So it's the challenge, some of it's the challenge of it and the putting the pieces together. And when something goes well, feeling like you do with anything, really good about the accomplishments of that. Um, but there are things you get to see you don't otherwise um, one of the th things I, I can remember seeing uh, very clearly around our way to uh, El Paso, Texas is years ago, um, early morning trip, left about 5 a.m. out of here. Um, and if you leave westbound, um, one of the things you notice, the airplane doesn't fly fast enough to catch up with the world. So the sun will start rising behind you as you're flying westbound. So you can watch this line of light advance across the, the ground below you which is really kind of cool because like wow. you can see some some houses it's morning and some houses it is still night <laughs> so and you can see this cool line well you don't get to see that stuff here right um you can also there are times if you get the earth shadow reflecting just correctly you can find and and you right time of the morning um there are times you'll be able to see the moon setting in this shadow that the earth creates as the sun is coming up behind you the curvature of the earth creates this shadow where it's dark it's light but it's dark on the horizon but the sun the, the moon is in that that uh, horizon and you can't see that from the earth like you're on here you got to be up high enough to see that so there's wow. some interesting cool pieces you get to see so yeah that's awesome sounds really cool um so you said you were 18 when you got your pilot's yeah. license mm -hmm. when did you like decide you wanted to do that did you like like planes as a kid or what about that i did we traveled some when i was young always liked being in the airport um always like going places and part of it it's exciting you're on vacation you're going someplace cool right. so you know there's always that component to it um <clears throat> my dad was a private pilot so i grew up around airplanes um, and really always enjoyed that um had fun with that and i i i'm firmly convinced like a lot of things you're either an airplane person or you're not and <laughs> some people love to be around them and it is something they really enjoy and think it's the coolest thing in the world and other people yeah we'll get on an airplane we'll go somewhere this is fine but I don't really care to do this any differently than getting on a train or driving my car it's just a means to get somewhere and I'm just like enamored with watching airplanes go I'll stop and look up when they're around me and I got the app on the phone to figure out who's above me and where they are and you can ask Google and they'll tell you <laughs> which flights are where. And uh, I, I just like being around airports and the stuff that happens and the excitement of seeing some really cool loud airplane take off and just being around it. So Yeah, that's interesting. 
Yeah, so you like all the aspects, not just the flying. Just oh yeah, like absolutely. Being around it, hearing the noise, smelling the burning jet fuels, <laughs> uh, just all the all the pieces of it are just exciting. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's awesome. Skipper's Construction focuses on exceptional use of space and budget as they design and build your dream. Working closely with their customers, they strive to create a home that exceeds expectations. Whether it's a new construction or a renovation, Skipper's Construction will work with you to design, build, or renovate your space. So what was the most difficult part of pilot's training in your opinion? most difficult pilot part of pilot's training. So the most difficult part of a private pilot's license is probably learning how to land because there's just so many factors that come together. You're, you're judging height, you're judging speed, um, you're compensating for wind, um, you've got to get the nose up high enough but not too high that you stall the airplane but high enough that you land on the main gear and not the, not the nose gear. Um, you have to be going the right speed within a fairly small window of getting that right and that takes lots and lots and lots of practice. So that's probably the most difficult part of it um, and probably the most difficult one of all of them would be a crosswind landing. Um, I, uh, I learned how to do it and could make them happen um, but I still remember on my instrument check ride so I'd been a private pilot for a while, had you know 150 hours or so of experience doing that. And I remember taking my instrument check ride um, with the examiner here, and doing the last thing you do on that check ride is is a, what's called a, a precision approach. It's an instant an ILS approach is the name of the approach. So flew the ILS to uh, runway 26 at Tulip City, now West Michigan Regional here, and we had a little bit of crosswind, and I made a really awful crosswind landing. And we had talked in the, the oral exam part about, I had talked about wanting to get a commercial license and make a living doing this, and so he knew that about me. Um, did the landing, and he said, all right, fine, you pass the instrument ride, but if you are going to be a commercial pilot, you have got to learn how to make a crosswind landing, and he proceeded to do like 10 of them for me. So I like, <laughs> and at that point, I learned how to do it. I, for some reason, never clicked, and at that point, it did. There you go, so that was a challenge. <laughs> Sounds like it, yeah. Yeah, all right. Um, so you obviously have the talent to be a, a pilot, which is a very difficult thing to do, and your, but your actual career is a lot different than that, your full-time career. You became a teacher. How did you land HC? <laughs> nice. How did I land at HC? Love the love the, uh, the the use of the language there, right? That was a good pun. Um, so even more circuitous than that. So um, you go into college, you got to major in something, right? And uh, to be an airline pilot, you got to major in something. So I didn't know what I wanted to major in because I wanted to be an airline pilot, right? Um, so I picked a degree. People said, "Oh, you can." There's all kinds of jobs you can get with accounting. This would be great. Get a degree in accounting. There's all kinds of things you can do. So I did, and uh, I got a job with First Michigan Bank, and I was part of Huntington and was doing commercial credit for them for a summer, and and hated going to work in the morning. It was awful, and it wasn't the bank. It wasn't the people. The bank was fine. The employer was fine. The people I was working for were fine. I just hated getting up in the morning and going to work. And I thought, man, if I got to do this for 40 more years. This can't be what life is supposed to be like. This is awful, right? So then you do a lot of soul searching with what do I want to do for a living? What am I called to do and be a part of? And with all the things I kind of wanted to do and the way I wanted life to look and what I enjoyed doing, settled on, on trying a career in education and went back and got a teaching certificate and a degree in history because I had a degree in accounting, but you can't get a teachable major as accounting. You got to get something else. So did that. Um, and then student taught here, and um, they had a need the year I student taught for the following year for somebody to teach, uh, let's see, what did I teach? Uh, two sections of math, 
two sections of PE and then a section in, in, the, in business. And that's a weird combination of stuff <laughs> that they had a hard time filling. And finally said, would you be interested in doing that? I'm like, well, sure. I don't think about teaching PE. I don't think about teaching math. But let's give this a shot. So, <laughs> You've done everything. And I yeah. like math. You know, you got, I've got an economics and an accounting background. There's a lot of math in those things. So, you know, I taught ninth grade core one math. For actually, at that point, it was algebra one. But um, uh, for a couple of years, taught some PE for a couple of years and enjoyed it. That was actually a lot of fun. Didn't know if I wanted to do it forever, but um, had a lot of fun. It was kids were playing games, doing stuff, and you got to mess around and have fun with playing softball and then playing basketball and doing all kinds of stuff with kids. So um, did that, and even that was, you know, I'll stay for a couple of years, and then I'll move on to what I really want to do, which I didn't know what that was, but figured this was not a, you know, a 30-year career kind of thing. We'll just, we'll do it for a couple of years and see. And every year since I've just kind of reevaluated and said, this is where I'm supposed to be, and I still feel good about what I'm doing. I still feel called to be here. And this is where I think God wants me to be this year, so we'll sign up for another year. So, <laughs> That's a long story, right. but that's uh, <laughs> here we are, 26 yeah, years later. We're so. glad you signed up. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. Um, so, with your economics background, do you have any investment advice for the people listening to this? Uh, yes, uh, invest in a diversified, low-cost mutual fund. There you go. So, the S and P 500 fund, uh, the S and P 500 index fund from Vanguard is a wonderful one, right? Can't go wrong with that. Invest in the whole market; you're good to go. I started uh, picking individual stocks. We're we're going to get no world of trouble here on this podcast very quickly. So. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, that might get a little bit too intense. Yes, and I guess if I'm honest, and it's painful to admit, if I'm honest, I look at my brokerage account that I buy individual stocks with for fun and have done fi done fine with that I do think the uh, index funds have probably outperformed me just like they outperform every almost every other actively managed investor <laughs> out there so that that is that is the data-based um, research driven answer all right mutual you. funds invest in a broad-based diversified mutual funds <laughs> <laughs> your simplified answer still blew over my head <laughs> uh, I'm glad we kept it at that uh, you kind of touched on this a little bit but um how has your faith affected important decisions in your life? Yeah, so um, obviously you pray about decisions that, that you're making and, and you listen. And that's always the hard part. I have yet to have the experience that some people have where there is a voice that comes or there is the sign in the sky that makes it obvious, right? Um, and when I was sort of toying with, do you go back to school? Do you not go back to school? I remember my mom saying, um, you know, it's it's those feelings we have sometimes that is the voice from the sky. It's the it's the you don't feel like you belong doing this. It doesn't feel right, um, and and that you know, learning how to listen to what God's saying to you that that's important, right? Um, and that that was a good lesson for me, and sort of have have applied that to other things. With this, it just doesn't feel like the right choice. We prayed about it. It's not a billboard that's out there. It's not a sign, no skywriter in the sky, but. It just it doesn't feel like it's the right thing to do, and it's just not the right choice right now. And it may be morally correct. It's not that it's an immoral decision, but it just it doesn't feel right. Um, and so listening and learning how to listen, I wouldn't claim to be real great at it, but that that's um, that's sort of that, that's that's the answer, right? And that's the piece of how you go about doing that. For me, anyway, other people seem to have more lightning bolt kind of strikes than I have, but. Or maybe you just hear about the one or two here and there. <laughs> right. They'll struggle through it like I do probably is more like it. But. Yep. That's a good answer. Yeah. It's <laughs> deep. Um, all right. So you have a reputation of being a really good teacher here at HC with um, 
I forget what Mr. Russ talked to me about. It was some website, like Rate Your Teacher, something or other. <laughs> <laughs> and he, to he told me that you were rated pretty high on that. So what would be your philosophy on ed education if you had one? Oh, boy. Well, I think everybody has one. I don't know if I can articulate it quite, you know, succinctly and all that kind of stuff. I think there's a number of things. I think, you know, learning can be interesting, right? Um, I think there has to be a purpose for it. And I think if you can put that in front of people that why we're learning this, right, um, that acquiring knowledge just for the sake of acquiring knowledge and having it be something we file in a file cabinet in our head I don't know that that's inherently interesting to lots of people. I like to learn stuff, but I like to learn stuff because it applies to things or I can think about this differently or something. If you can provide a context for it, I think that helps, right? Helps draw some interest. And if you can, I think, model asking interesting questions, right? That we're not just going to sit down and talk and I'm going to talk to you and you're going to memorize these 25 things, but why are we learning this? And what can it ask us? What can we ask with this information? What could we learn? And what doors could we open with this? And, and what could you do with it, right? So we just got done an econ class right then today, watching the end of a video called Poverty Inc. Um, I think you guys probably saw that as well, where it's uh, an Acton Institute piece where you're looking to say, okay, you're called as a person of faith to care for the poor. One way to do that is to donate money, and there's a place for that, right? There's a place for aid, and there's a place to, to be charitable and so forth. But if you really want to fix poverty in the long run, you got to take these economic tools, and you got to do something with them. You have to figure out how do we create rules and structure that make an economy grow? How do we create access to capital that makes an economy and businesses grow so we can create jobs for people? How do we create a structure that provides an education for people? All these things we know from an economic standpoint that are successful in growing an economy, how do we do that? How do we use this stuff? What, do you, what can you fix with these things, right? Um, and, and I think you can start to make a little more interest for people if they see an actual application to the stuff. Um, you're, you're learning a set of tools, but how do you use those tools and where could they be impactful and what could they do in this world? I mean, to me, that's, that's more important and more interesting than just memorizing a list and you know, doing that. So I don't know if that answers your question. Or not. Oh yeah, it does for sure. Um, my dad kind of had told me something like the most important knowledge you can learn is something that affects the way you think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's kind of, yep. absolutely. Yeah. It's really cool actually just hearing you say something like that. Yeah. That's actually a really good philosophy. I feel like for teachers, mm -hmm. that's what gives you that good rating, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, who knows what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>